0: If you are a jealous person, uh, and something happens, your first response is you know, like, "How is this taking things away from me? What's the threat?" And if you're a uh, you know a depressive person, sort of a hungry ghost person, you're like, "Well, that's you know, of course fine. So I'm no good anyway." You know. Um, and if you're an angry person, you react out of anger. So to just recognize what your home realms are, and to recognize that that doesn't mean that reaction is appropriate or called for, it just means that it's your default, can help already sort of loosen up your reaction and make it easier to get back to that human realm where you're questioning and thinking about what is the appropriate response
1: here. Welcome to the Multiamory Podcast. I'm Jace.
2: I'm Emily.
0: And I'm Dedeker.
2: We believe in looking to the future of relationships, not maintaining the status quo of the past.
3: So whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, swinging casually dating or if you just do relationships differently we see you and we're here for you
1: On this episode of the Multi Amory podcast, we're talking about habitual moods or mind states that crop up in our relationships uh, and also in our everyday lives, in our relationships with ourselves and with the world. And to help us with this topic, we are joined once again by Annalisa Castaldo. Annalisa is an associate professor of English at Widener University in Pennsylvania. She also has a master's of education in human sexuality teaches a course on non-monogamies, and is an ordained Zen Buddhist priest. And we had Annalisa on this show about a year ago on episode 222, where we talked about mindfulness, Zen, and relationships. Uh, So definitely go check that out if you haven't already. But today, we're going to be revisiting some of that, but talking specifically about habitual mind states, which are kind of these places that it's easy for us to fall back into mentally and and emotionally. And so I'm really excited to get into this.
3: Yeah. Uh, Can you believe, Annalisa, that it's been a year since we last had you on? No, absolutely not. I
0: really thought it was about six months. <laughs> yeah,
2: it feels like it was a just a really quick blip. And yeah, it was very. Yeah, it wasn't that long ago at all. But well, I don't we know are. about all
0: y'all,
3: but you know where I was a year ago where I am today—exactly the same. Nothing's changed. <laughs> like, oh, nothing super at all. super chilled out <laughs> yeah, these days.
0: Yeah. <laughs> just you know, here in my house, grading papers, talking to friends—it's all the same. <laughs> yeah, it's all yeah. the same. It's all exactly, exactly. the same. <laughs> haven't haven't gone to a restaurant in a month.
3: Like it's about the same oh. as where I was last time. <laughs> wow. Well, Yeah. Oh, yeah. So for those of you who are tuning in currently, or maybe tuning in in the future, we are currently recording during the COVID crisis. We're going to try to not be talking about only that today and try to be talking about stuff today within a lens that is relevant to times when we're not in a pandemic as well. Um, But, and Lisa, I am curious to talk to you about, and actually, I kind of want to hear about this from all of us, but what has this particular period of isolation taught you about yourself and your relationships?
0: Well, about myself, um, uh, it has taught me to embrace who I am because I'm an introvert. And, uh, as I think I mentioned last time I was talking to you, I have rheumatoid arthritis. So when I have flares, I tend to spend a lot of time at home and I'm like, welcome to my world, everyone. Mm. (laughs) Um, (laughs) so the adjustment for me has been more about moving my classes online, which was Mind blowing! I'm not a techie person, and suddenly there I am running Zoom classes and messing up in every way possible, uh, and also helping to build a virtual Zendo. I we took uh, hmm. Soji Zen Center and moved it all online. Wow. wow!
2: Wow! That's amazing.
0: What What has that been like? Um. Interesting. Uh, <laughs> we, we figured out how to do virtual sittings and to give Dharma Talks virtually, and it was a little shaky at the beginning, but we're doing pretty well now. Uh, and I'm very proud of my teacher, uh, Shuzan Roshi. He's 80 years old, and he is in there doing interviews online wow. and figuring wow. it out. That's so Good cool. Friend. So impressed. Yeah. How lovely.
3: Yeah. Gosh, there's been a lot for all of us to have to adjust to (laughs) right now. And it's interesting you talk about the the arthritis thing, because I have seen a lot of that online of kind of people who have chronic illness kind of being like, yeah, it sucks, doesn't it? You know, Mm -hmm. like (laughs) having to stay in when you don't necessarily want to stay in for your own health. Yeah,
0: absolutely.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah. How are the two of you doing? Yeah. How are are things going on in your relationships
0: (laughs) in the midst of all this? uh well luckily uh it's in terms of my primary or my sort of uh, nesting relationship, Alex and I have a, a lovely home with enough space for us to be uh separate, and uh we're managing great uh sadly uh his local partner and my local partner have decided they're not comfortable uh coming to see us or mm-hmm. going to see them, and so I haven't seen uh Nathan in like two months now and mm. um alex is facetiming with his girlfriend but it's of course not the same so there's their relationships are managing you know but they're definitely frayed a little because just lack of touch and engagement is always hard
2: yeah
3: yeah definitely i know that's something that we're going through right now although with Jason and i i mean we do count ourselves somewhat fortunate. We kind of joke that we've trained for this a little bit already. You know, we already kind of got used to spending like periods of the year apart and and connecting mostly via Zoom calls and and video calls and stuff like that. So we're trained. It is not (laughs) the same though. Yeah. No. And I guess
2: along those lines, has your practice sort of helped you with currently what's happening like in your non-monogamous relationships or any other type of relationship stress
0: during this time? Oh, absolutely. And I think that's true for everyone when I talk to uh my uh fellow practitioners at Soji, they'd all talk about how how can anyone do this without the practice? Uh so mm. it's really important to for me to meditate every day, sometimes multiple times a day and to ground myself in what I know from the practice, uh, especially the being present. Like, this is what is. It's not going to change no matter how much I want it. And since it's not going to change, instead of fighting it, resenting it, uh, or trying to hide from it, just be present for it. It actually unlocks and sort of softens the negativity around it Hmm. to just accept what is and move forward.
3: Yeah. Just that simplicity around having a practice that's so built in just being present with the way things are. And I mean, whenever I read about things like that in Buddhism or in Buddhist essays or things like that, that was always something that was always very confronting as it is. And especially now you know, just this idea of having to sit with the way things are. I mean, more or less, we're all kind of being forced to do that, but it's still
0: hard. Gosh, darn it. <laughs> <laughs> it It is. And it is even for me after I've been practicing for two decades, but I, you know, I look at Facebook posts about people protesting and they're like, I have to get out and I want all this stuff and I miss it. And I'm like, if you reorient your thinking and and think less about what you are missing or what you don't have and just be, Thinking about what you do have and what is present in your life now, it, it can really help to just relax you and make it all okay, mm. yeah, I, or less unokay.
4: <laughs> less unokay. Like I, like
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I feel like a, a lot of what this has taught uh, me and the people around me is like what does really matter in life, and it's not necessarily like the things that you can buy or the places that you can go, but like the people that you surround yourselves with or that you like take the time to even reach out to. Uh, I know for myself, like, it's given me a really cool amount of time to spend with my partner in a way that I haven't been able to probably ever in our relationship just simply because I'm not commuting, you know, two hours a day or something along those lines. Um, So it is interesting to kind of like have that reset and that pause for sure, even in the times of greatly feeling like I'm claustrophobic and need to get the hell out of here.
0: Yeah, I don't know if this is going to sound way too zenny, but uh, (laughs) there's this idea that um, things are perfect just as they are, because Mm -hmm. they can't be other than they are. So this is what you get
1: way too zen right. that's good advice no it's, yeah too any.: that's great <laughs> uh
0: well i don't know i
3: mean for me what i've mostly been learning about myself is that uh when i'm confined in a space that any of my own baggage and moods and issues gets projected onto whoever happens to be around which right now Sometimes is happens, <laughs> happens to be my partner alex um, oh yes I'll be having a mood and he'll come into a room and be like, hey, how are you doing, baby? feeling all right? And I'm like, you have issues with your mother. Um, <laughs> wow.
1: <laughs> oh, wow. Wow.
3: Wow. <laughs> I exaggerate only a tiny bit. That's kind of how it feels. That's what I've been learning about myself is that, um, I, I mean, really though, that so often when I'm annoyed with what a partner is doing or a partner's behavior that it feels like nine times out of ten, it's not actually their behavior—it's more of something that's going on inside me that's just kind of decided to latch onto that behavior as the reason why. Um mm. So that's been cool. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah.
3: Good learning. At least experience. you're
1: acknowledging it, Dedeker. Right. Yeah, I'm
3: working. I'm working on it. It's a practice. It's always a practice, <laughs> indeed.
1: Yeah, I, I was noticing an interesting thing recently because I was thinking about like being introverted versus being extroverted and how, you know, in some ways, introverts are now like. Haha, ha, like now I'm the one who's well-adapted to the world, as opposed to before where, at least for me, I always kind of felt like extroverts were the ones who were the well-adapted ones to the world, and I was the one who kind of had to overcome this difficulty. I think there's an element of that. But what it's led to me, though, more recently, like as this has gone on longer and I've talked to more people about it, it reminds me a little bit of what we talk about with jealousy, where people will put this label of jealousy on a whole host of feelings on a whole host of different feelings. And that I feel like a similar thing, I've noticed myself doing a similar thing. And I think other people are doing this as well of like putting this kind of general label of whatever you want to call it, like claustrophobic or um, lonely or, you know, something that we're putting that label on it when maybe it's like, if you really examine it and look at what are the individual pieces of this, That it might not be just this one feeling. So like, for example, I found that as as an introvert and part of what being an introvert means has to do with your threshold for how much stimulus you can handle, like how much stimulus is, uh, you know, energizing for you versus what's taxing for you. And I found for myself doing like the multi-amoring hangouts twice a week and having, you know, calls with Dedeker and Emily and talking with my friend Eric and, you know, all this kind of stuff. I've actually found days during this isolation when I'm literally in a house by myself for a month now at the time of this recording that I'm finding times where I'm like, I want the world to just go away because I'm overstimulated which is a feeling Mm -hmm. I would normally have if I was doing a lot of social engagements or I was at work around a lot of people and realizing like, huh, that's a feeling that I associated with not this. You would think I wouldn't ever be feeling that, Mm -hmm. but kind of realizing like, oh, okay, it's not quite so simple as just like, are you around people or are you not? And I'm getting maybe more being around people than I'm comfortable with sometimes. Yet the touch side, Yeah, I miss miss touching or cuddling or things like that. But it's kind of, I don't know, I guess I found it helpful to kind of tease those apart so I can at least identify this one thing rather than just this, like, I feel bad and I don't know what to do about it.
3: Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that actually sets us up to transition into talking about our main focus for today, which is habitual mental states, uh, recurring moods, or emotional states. So, I'm going to give the disclaimer to our listeners that even though we are speaking with someone who is an ordained Zen priest, you don't necessarily need to prescribe to the tenets of Buddhism or of any particular faith, really. Um, You know, looking at this topic from a Zen and mindfulness perspective isn't meant to encourage anyone to convert or anything like that. Um, We're just hoping that what we can talk about today may offer a useful psychological tool for getting through the ups and downs of isolation or the ups and downs of just life in general and relationships. And so, like we said, when we first brought Annalisa on the show (laughs) almost a year ago, let's look at these things through the realm of practice and practical applications to your life uh, rather than through the lens of religious or spiritual belief.
1: Yeah. So we kind of talked about this a little bit of what we've been learning during this time of isolation, but like, if you had to just real quick off the cuff, be like, "What are the recurring moods or mental states you've been experiencing over the last month or so of lockdown?"
3: Uh, chaos. Is that a mood? <laughs> that's a, I guess that's a, a mental state, state, state of being. Yeah. yeah. Um, extreme frustration. I come back to on a pretty mm. recurring basis right now.
1: And is that I've different really... from normal life? Sorry, that's the follow-up.
3: Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. I think just right now it's like the volume's turned up to 11.
1: Mm, okay, yeah. <laughs> That's what I've noticed, yeah. What about you, Em?
2: Yeah, I've been really frustrated with certain things like our nation's unemployment system, for example. Right, yeah. um, And just like incredibly high levels of frustration with that. And then also like incredible levels of sadness. And then sometimes like just being fine, pretty okay. Hmm. And yes, all of those things are the same as I usually am. (laughs) Those are like the three states in which I operate, like doing well, like happy-go-lucky kind of extreme sadness or frustration. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: That's interesting. So
2: maybe, yeah, it's not really that different, which is interesting, but I agree with you. It is heightened. It is turned up.
1: It's funny because I've been finding myself kind of bouncing back and forth between feeling um like i'm not doing enough i'm not accomplishing enough or helping people enough or something like that or which is
2: how you all always are (laughs) always thinking
1: that right and or feeling um like super motivated and and getting a lot done and just being like in the zone working on things and kind of being like fuck off everybody i'm working right now uh or (laughs) (laughs) you know or just um I guess kind of those two are the big ones I come back to. But yeah, I had this realization just maybe a couple of weeks ago of like, but those are always kind of my habitual states. It's just, and I can't tell if it's that the volumes turned up or that I have something to blame for them or that I'm uh-huh. being more allowed to feel them <clears throat> now because it's like, oh, well, of course I have this reason to be, I don't know. I've been pondering that and I don't have an answer, but what, How about, about, you, Annalisa? what about you?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I have an answer. Um so for me good. I've <laughs> I've been uh ping-ponging back and forth between feeling fine, feeling like I'm okay and uh depressed. Uh that's my sort of default bad mood is like depression sliced in or interwoven with guilt. Uh I'm I'm very good at the sort of guilt shame. I'm not doing enough. I should be doing more. Uh why am I not helping people 24/7? Uh, sort of so I, I kind of go back and forth between those two, uh and I really love that you all said, "Hey, these are our normal moods they 're just turned <laughs> up to eleven because that 's kind of exactly the point of the six realms that we have mm. home realms that we uh naturally fall to, and it 's kind of a default reaction to things."
4: Mm.
3: Yeah. So so via email, Annalisa and I have been chatting about this concept from Buddhism known as the six realms. So Annalisa, can you just first maybe very briefly give us just like the surface level or like the literal rundown of what the six realms are?
0: I will try to be brief. So <laughs> originally, this was attached to the idea of rebirth and that you, they were literally reborn into these different realms, but they work perfectly as psychological states. So there are, unsurprisingly, six of them. Um, and they represent sort of psychological profiles. And there are, uh, what's important to understand is that there are not good or bad. They're all moments in time that you want to leave behind and move to a state of clarity rather than saying like, Oh, I want to be in the good state or the bad state, even though as you'll see in a minute, some of them are much more scary than others. Hmm. So there's the, the God realm, um, the demigod or jealous God realm, the human realm, actually humanity is actually a, a separate realm. Um, the animal realm, the hungry ghost realm and the hell realm.
1: And Okay, that last one sounds bad. <laughs>
0: It is bad, but it is, again, also just it's a mood that people move in and out of. So starting with that one, hell is representative of extreme anger and hatred. So the important thing to recognize, we all enter that realm at certain points, like when we're watching a certain politician with orange skin, uh, talk on the news, uh, or, you know, road rage, that moment when you're just like, I want to kill you for cutting in front of me. That's an instant in the hell realm, you know? Uh-huh. So yeah. And Emily's <laughs> nodding and pointing at herself in a very way. I'm pretty way. sure I'm the
2: one who drives the most out of at yeah. least the three of us. So yeah, I, I, I have to deal with that a lot. Although surprisingly, well, not surprisingly in the last two months, not at all. So yeah. here we are.
4: It's, it's nice. been nice.
2: <laughs>
0: Less hell realm for you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the uh, next realm up is the hungry ghost realm, which is for our culture, I think, an incredibly important one. So you have to imagine the hungry ghost in Buddhist mythology is a ghost with a tiny, tiny, tiny pencil thin neck and tiny mouth and a huge belly. So the idea is that you're constantly wanting things and never able to satisfy them. It's craving, it's clinging, it's a desperate desire to feel better about yourself. It's when you eat the entire box of cookies and then you're like, and now I need more cookies, even though I feel sick. Mm. Um, It's uh, when you are sort of... uh, you know, you've you've broken up with someone because you know they're bad for you, but you sit there staring at your phone for hours, wanting to count just one more time, just one more time, and that'll be over him. You know, right. it's that sort of desperate clinging feeling that uh, is so prevalent in uh, our capitalist, uncertain society.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah the the imagery of that is um...
3: it's very Miyazaki
2: uh, in my mind.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I,
2: I was like, there's like a probably a Miyazaki you know thing out there like in spirited away that reminds me of that. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I feel like the hungry ghost, I mean, like you said, it comes from Buddhist mythology. So there's like a lot of artistic depictions Mm -hmm. of that. Um, But that just, it feels very um, confronting because as soon as I hear that, I'm like, Oh wait. So that like all the time, right. Like, like every waking moment, right. Is just Mm -hmm. constantly like kind of can't get no satisfaction basically.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah. Does that, So just to sort of clarify it, does that include uh, kind of that not being satisfied with what you're doing yourself, like that you and I were talking about before, Annalisa, or does that fall into more of a different realm?
0: No, it's definitely about not being satisfied with yourself. Um, Hungry Ghost actually is the realm of depression, Mm -hmm. um, because it's the realm where you sort of turn in on yourself and believe you're never enough and you never will be enough, and it's just all doomed. And it's a very hopeless, helpless feeling, the Hungry Ghost Realm. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, that my other state.
2: Sense. Is more like, uh, yeah, uh, victim victimizing myself. That's kind of, yeah, that reminds me of that state.
0: Yeah. The um, next realm up is the Animal Realm. And the idea here is that uh, if you're reborn in the body of an animal, what not? Literally, but figuratively, what you care about is survival and about sensual satisfaction, uh, not just sex, but food and drink and sleep. So it's a dull state. It's a state that is very motivated by fear um, because the sort of drive for survival, this constant worry about getting hurt or getting uh, attacked or getting... Uh, um. I'm blanking. I'll just move on. Getting eaten.
1: Getting eaten. <laughs>
0: Getting eaten. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So, so you sort of, when you're in this state, you want a sort of safe nest. You want to crawl under your bed and hide. You want to curl up with your fluffiest blankets and uh, have some ice cream. It's not the desperate feeling of needing to eat everything in the house of the hungry ghost realm, but it's a, a wanting comfort and not caring about anything but the comfort. I think that's a really common state uh, right now. Yeah. yeah, I was going to say that actually
3: feels very, very familiar when it's described that way. Um, be- like It's interesting that you describe it as kind of like a dull state because I know something that's been coming up for me recently during isolation is definitely a like wanting to numb, essentially, where mm. it's it's kind of like on both sides of the same coin, like one side being comfort and the other side just kind of being numbing, you know, and so it's like that focus on sensual pleasure of of sugar or video games or... Or drinking. a glass of wine. Yeah. <laughs> drinking. Um yeah. or things like that where it, it is kind of that wanting to just like dull. Which is interesting because I, I think that uh intuitively I wouldn't have put that in the animal realm, but it makes sense when you explain it that way.
0: Yeah. And the other thing uh that I want to mention here is that none of again, none of these states are actually bad. Like anger can be motivating and wanting to retreat from the world can be very important in terms of repairing your sort of mental stability. It's when we get caught up in a realm that we have problems. So these are just Mm. different emotional moods, or as you said, habits of mind that as long as you're in control of them, great. If you're not in control of them, not so great.
1: Mm. Okay, what's Um, the next one?
0: So I actually uh want to skip over the human realm because that's the hardest one to explain. <laughs>
1: okay.
0: <laughs> because people are okay. like, I'm always human, aren't I? What's going on? <laughs> um, so let me do the demigods and the gods, um, which uh the demigods are are sort of my home realm. Um that <laughs> is the uh and, and might sound familiar to many people who are interested in non-monogamy. It's the realm of the possessive, um jealous. Desiring people who want everything for themselves, who seek power, who seek good things, uh, and are jealous of anyone else who has them. Mm. Uh, and uh, although I'm not typically jealous in relationships, you put me at work and I'm like, she won an award and I didn't. Oh, what has she got? Yeah. <laughs> what do I have to do? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I can relate. <laughs> so, so yeah, if, um, if the Hungry Ghost realm is the depression and sort of turning inward and saying, I'm not good enough, the demigod realm is the turning out and blaming everyone else. Mm-hmm. You're the ones who are making my life difficult. Right. Huh, so, that's interesting. So it's almost like a... There's
3: almost kind of like a going to war aspect of it, mm-hmm. of kind of like yeah, like going on the attack to a certain extent or kind of going out to grab something externally from someone else rather than, I guess, like the hungry ghost kind of just
0: chipping away at yourself internally. Right. I mean, the hungry ghosts are ghosts. They don't have the ability to get things. They can just sort of hope somebody gives them something. Is There's actually a, a Buddhist chant where we uh, dedicate food to the hungry ghosts. Um, huh. But but the uh, demigods, yeah, they're going out and attacking and trying to... and. Um, take things from, well, mostly the gods, uh, gods, demigods, and, uh, they are constantly sure that they don't have enough stuff and that that's because other people are hoarding it.
1: Hmm. Right. So rather than, than kind of feeling like I'm not good enough, it's like I was just dealt a bad hand or like if if well, if I had what they have, then I'd be fine. Or like if I, yeah. once I get to that, then I'll be Okay. Okay, is, yeah, is that if, I kinda... ju-
0: if I get promoted, if I get this new house, if I have another relationship, uh, you know, a new boyfriend or whatever, then I'll feel good. Then I'll feel mm. fine.
1: Yeah, okay, yeah.
0: And there's also that tinge of, and the reason I don't have those things is someone else is trying to keep them from me. Hmm. right. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so the God realm is the realm of uh, long life, beauty, luxury... Uh, pleasantness, um, safety, and you're all thinking, sounds great. Sign me up. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Where do I go? How do I get there? Uh, So here's here's the problems with the God realm. First of all, it ends. Hmm. And so when you have something wonderful and then you lose it, it hurts. Hmm. And second, having that much luxury, safety, and pleasantness around you Blinds you to other people's lack, lack and um, suffering, and you Mm. lose compassion.
4: Mm. Yeah, gosh,
0: I feel like we've seen that so many times, we can see that
3: so much on like the surface level of kind of what we see with like class structure and privilege and stuff like that. But also on a personal level of like, when we do get dealt a good hand, or when things are going good for us,
0: it's so like that empathy gap can just get so big without us even realizing it. Yeah, I mean we all want to believe we're good people. So if we get things, we're like, well, I deserve it. And the flip side of that though is if I have things and deserve it, then people who don't have things didn't deserve it. And this is the mindset of yeah. the god realm.
1: It it reminds me of the secret and kind of all the proponents of that where it's like if things worked out well for you, it's very easy to say, "Ah, oh, well, it's because I manifested it and you just must not mm. be believing it enough. That's why you haven't gotten yeah. it yet." And it's very easy to say that when you're in that God realm place of like yeah it's, things are working out for me right now.
0: Right. Yeah, I hate the secret. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so do yeah. I. I was really into it for a long time and that's part of why I really dislike it now because I I mm. know how easy of a trap it is, like how it feels like it makes sense and it feels empowering. Um, But anyway, we don't need it. We don't need it. Go there.
0: Okay. So anyway, (laughs) let me backtrack to the human realm. Um, The human realm is the realm of doubt and confusion. And it's a good place to be because in Buddhist psychology, the human realm is the only place from which you can move towards awakening or enlightenment. Um, The reason for this is that it actually is a state where you recognize your own lack of certainty. So all the other realms have this solidity to them. When you're angry, you're just like, yes, I have a right to be angry and I'm going to kill everything. Or, you know, like when you're um, depressed, it's just impossible to think you're ever not going to be depressed. Mm -hmm. You have to move into the human realm to understand that things are impermanent and that things can change and that you can change. So Mm -hmm. it is a great realm to be in, but it's a hard realm because it feels so unstable because guess what? Life is unstable.
3: Right. Yeah. So I I am assuming that this is also kind of the, the mental realm, the mind state of of questioning, of kind of not being sure of maybe questioning your beliefs or questioning your practices or things like that, which, like you said, seem, it's like it's a necessary thing, like a necessary thing if your mindset or your uh, opinions or anything is going to change.
0: But gosh, it's uncomfortable being uncertain, isn't it? <laughs> isn't it though?
4: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it,
0: it, it's funny how you'd. Um, I personally find myself clinging to my depression because I'm like, but it's stable. Yeah. <laughs> I understand mm-hmm. My teacher says um, people cling to their uh, pain because they know how big it is, how much it weighs, uh, what it, what color it is. It feels safe.
2: <laughs> yeah, I feel like right now we're living in such an uncertain time. Also, that to a degree, like all of us are in. A state of unknowing, like what is the world going to look like? How different is it going to be from here on out? So,
1: but I, almost, I, I do agree, it's this really uncomfortable place to be in. And I, I kind of feel like being in a state where a lot of people are freaking out about the unknown actually makes it even harder to be in that state because it's like, I nope, I got to get away from that. Which is why we go, <laughs> maybe why a lot of us are going through. More alcohol than we normally do or, you know, (laughs) going to one of these other states to kind of like dull things and get out of get out of that state.
3: We're going to take a quick break from this conversation to talk a little bit about support for this episode and ways that we can keep uh, offering this show for free. to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I.
2: Well, so with all of this, we did talk previously about, like, the realms that we sort of do tend to live in a lot, or that our minds, like, go to habitually, and you just talked about depression, or even, like, the demigod realm. So, with those, I mean, do you... Do you have like ways in which you can kind of move yourself out of those realms? Are there habits that you uh, are able to break in
0: some way? So the first thing is to realize that everyone has one or maybe two uh, home realms, which are not like you, you're you constantly in this realm, but that if there's a change in behavior that startles you or or circumstances change and you have a reaction, you'll default to that reaction um, unless it's sort of unalloyed happiness and pleasure. So, if you are a jealous person uh, and something happens, your first response is you're like, "How is this taking things away from me? What's the threat?" And if you're a you know a depressive person, sort of a hungry ghost person, you're like, "Well, that's you know, of course, fine. So I'm no good anyway." You know, um, and if you're an angry person, you react out of anger. So, to just recognize what your home realms are. And to recognize that that doesn't mean that reaction is appropriate or called for, it just means that it's your default, can help already sort of loosen up your reaction and make it easier to get back to that human realm where you're questioning and thinking about what is the appropriate response here. And the second thing is like in terms of getting out of realms, uh, what you, the overall goal of Buddhism in terms of sort of the psychology of the realms is to leave all of them like in, in literal term, in literal terms, it means to uh, achieve nirvana and not be reborn. Um, you know, cause the the traditional idea in Buddhism is that you get reborn over and over again until you achieve uh, a karma-less state and then you sort of transcend. Um, but if you don't believe in rebirth or reincarnation, this still works because the idea is to stop having automatic, unthinking default reactions and instead to be relaxed and intimate with what's occurring and then mm. to engage with it from a position of compassion and openness rather than a, a reactive default position.
2: Oh, a gosh. G- cool but- distinction. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Yeah. But it's kind of like, like your first step is needing to be able to step outside of yourself and see that this is a thing at all, you know, because I know Mm -hmm. that's definitely something for me is that like, um, everything's great when things feel in control and you feel like you can predict what's going to happen. You're in your routine, everything's going along fine. And then the moment something unexpected happens, um, you know, that's when it's so easy for the default to just come rushing in and it feels so solid. That's the thing is like uh, that I've noticed you talking about a lot is that there's such a solidity to it. And so I'm wondering like, what would be some practical advice for our listeners of being able to even cultivate that ability to like step outside yourself and even notice. And then once you notice, then what do you do? Because I know that sometimes I get hung up on like, oh, I noticed that thing. Great. I noticed it.
0: Now I'm going to get right back into it sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) I know. It's so great. You're like, oh, I'm doing that thing. I like that thing. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm go- I'm going to do the thing plus. Um, yeah. So the first step is if you, whatever model you use, this model or some other model to recognize what your default patterns are, and then to be kind to yourself when you realize you're in the middle of them. Because for years and years, you're going to be in the middle of them before you realize. It takes so much training to see a default mode coming and sidestep it. And according to my teacher, you never 100% get there. So you just learn earlier and earlier to catch your mode. Um, The thing I I personally find most useful is uh, to ask myself, what is true right now? Um, that question can often sort of stop me in my tracks. So like, say I'm, well, I'll give you a very specific example. When this whole uh, sheltering in place, quarantine, et cetera, stuff started, uh, I, um, Alex and I both teach. His school decided to take a week off, just cancel classes for a week. (laughs) My school went right into teaching. So for a week, I was like, spending hours putting stuff online and figuring out how to run classes. And he's playing computer games. Mm. And I was getting more and more and more frustrated with him and angry. And I had to, at a certain point, stop and say, you know, like, what is he actually doing to me? You know, like this is my sort of gel. Je- I was jealous of his time. I was jealous of his freedom. I was jealous of how much work I was doing when he seemed to be loafing around. And, I made a lot of assumptions about his you know, laziness and his not caring about me and how could he sit there playing computer games and like streaming them and talking constantly when he knows that bothers me. And I was like, <sighs> breathe. Okay, what's true right now? Do I actually hmm. know that he's aware that he's bothering me? No, I don't know that. Do I actually know that he's lazy and not stressed? I absolutely do not know that. I know he plays games when he is stressed. You know, like, hmm. do I actually know um, how the future is going to unfold? No, what do I know right now? I know that I feel um stressed. What do I do about that regard like not expecting Alex to fix it, not expecting the situation to change? How do I deal with that right now? So, like just asking myself, what do I actually know for sure? What is true at this very moment? And a lot of times this very moment is actually really pretty good. I mean, I'm like, I have a nice house. I have cute cats. I'm safe. I'm warm. Um, why am I so upset at this, Mm. at this one second in time? Why am I so upset? So then it makes sense. Like you said that, like you
3: have to come to that place of doubt and questioning first Mm. in order to be able to get out of that, like jealous, envious, competitive mind state. Oh, I feel yeah. like I need to go crawl up in a corner and think about some things. No, I
2: love that, though.
1: An- so you're going to the animal realm in response to the aesthetic? Curve? <laughs> uh,
3: yeah, I guess that would count. I guess going to a cave probably counts as a pretty animal thing to do. <laughs>
1: right.
2: <laughs> I mean, what you just said kind of reinforces the fact that, like, this is a thing that you do unilaterally. Like, it's not about what your partner is doing and how they can fix your problem, but rather like, hey, let's look at what is true right now and what is it that I can be doing to help myself move out of this state. So that's that's really great and a great thing to think about regardless of the situation.
0: Yeah, I'm sort of a hardliner when it comes to relationships. Uh, I, I really, truly believe that in every circumstance, your emotions are your own. They're not caused by other people. Um, and that's not to say you should be this perfect person who never gets upset. It's just that it's, it's in your decision, your mind, your control, how you deal with things. Um, and maybe at the moment you deal with them in a default sort of um, lizard brain way. And maybe that's what you need to do. But when you calm down, maybe what you need to say is not, you know, this person is abusive, but I don't want to be abused anymore. I'm out of mm. here. You know, so and, and of course, there are very practical. Let me you know quickly say there are very practical reasons why people can't leave abusive relationships sometimes, and I'm not at all discounting that. Uh, but in mo- many circumstances where people <sighs> hurt each other, it's either person can just say, "That's it, I'm done with this, and I'm I'm walking away." As opposed to, if you would just change, then I would be happy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm kind of, I, I do draw a very strong line there, probably firmer than other people do.
1: It, it reminds me a little bit of the distinction we make when talking about boundaries, mm-hmm. that, yeah. that sort of the, the part about boundaries <clears throat> that, is, that can be really helpful for people and very empowering is that part where it's like, you, get, you have all the power to enforce your own boundary and and again, I, I do think with all of it, it is worth considering situations where someone truly doesn't have any power to do that, you know, in the case of like, you know, on the extreme, like human trafficking or something like that, where it's like, very literally don't have power to escape. Um, but I think for most of us in most of our lives, it's not that level. So I do think that can be a really helpful thing to to think about of like, yeah, that like, well, what? what can I do to change this rather than what does everyone else need to do to change this? But that is a a distinction I think we try to make with boundaries. And so it's interesting you bring that up in this context too.
0: Yeah. I'm a big fan of boundaries. (laughs)
1: Good. The the way you did the Uh, way
0: you described them. Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So um, something, so we want to talk about the sixth realms and how that, changes your approach to relationships, which I think we've kind of been getting into a little bit. And so I guess I was something I was curious about is you mentioned that most of us will have one or maybe a couple of these that tends to be our default to go to. It seems like there could be something really helpful in identifying that about ourselves to maybe, I don't know, maybe make it easier to notice when we're going into it. Um I was just curious about kind of that that part of the process.
0: Yeah, well, and actually in an odd way, it's kind of like the five love languages, where if huh. you recognize that you and your partner have different realms, mm. um that can help you to understand why your partner reacts the way they do to something when you know you would react very differently and uh one reaction might be that's unreasonable. Why are you reacting that way? That makes no sense. But mm-hmm. if you're like, oh, my partner is a you know a god person and you know, like just wants to be safe and luxurious and and will do anything to have that sense of um luxury and uh pleasure, and the um and your realm is uh maybe animal realm and those seem similar, but if you recognize the differences, you see that. You know, like, and I, I mentioned this because sometimes Alex will be like, Why did you eat all the cookies? And I'm like, <laughs> Why do you ask me, Why do I eat all the cookies when you know the answer? He just does, like, he can eat three cookies and then walk away. And I'm just like, I don't get it. <laughs> but it's a thing I've seen him do. And uh, he's also seen me eat the entire box of cookies and he still doesn't get it. So it's like not recognizing this is a default mode. And what it signals is that the person is. Uh, reacting out of instinct rather than thought.
2: Which one is which? Which one is <laughs> the animal in that situation, and which one is the god realm? Is the person who eats all the cookies the god? Right,
0: do cookies kind of luxury,
3: luxury, yeah, or exactly. They kind of survival.
0: No, no, the um, the the animal realm. Actually, I guess you're right. Now, I, yeah, I, I, exactly. the, Yeah, the god realm is all the cookies, and they're the best cookies. Actually, okay. I forgot to mention. By the way you might not find this uh, make sense at first, but the God realm is the realm of addiction mm. Mm. Um, because it's about pleasure it at any, yeah. at any cost. Whereas the animal <sighs> realm is, is about pleasure, but in terms of survival. Mm. Mm. Interesting.
1: Yeah. I also like that the, the God realms kind of like this freedom from wanting also seems like this opposite from the hungry ghost, which is about craving all the time. But right. I can see on the surface, those might look similar, where it's like, in the God realm, to be free from wanting, I'm just going to indulge in all these luxurious things. But then in the Hungry Ghost realm, it's like, I'm grabbing all these things because out of like a sense of desperation, that's like the motivation's different, even if it might seem like the thing you're doing is the same.
0: Yeah, and you can even break it down It's like the hungry ghost realm is the craving you have before you get the hit. Like um, I, I know I keep talking about junk food, but it's my thing. <laughs> it it uh-huh. so is, and so like I can feel like a physical uh, craving in my body when I want chocolate and don't have it. Hmm. Once I eat it, there's this sort of sense of relaxation and luxury and uh, peace. And uh, I keep eating to reproduce that feeling, which is a sort of an addictive model. And so I move from the hungry ghost realm to the god realm if I can get to the store. Uh, but I bypass the human realm where I might say, is eating an entire box of cookies really going to help you with this problem?
2: <laughs> right. Interesting. Okay.
0: Yeah, so, so looking at all these and
3: thinking about this particular psychological model i mean i feel it's pretty easy to see the ways that people who are pursuing like non-traditional relationships or non-monogamous relationships can think about this i mean i think in non-monogamous relationships we're often faced with um you know things like attachment crises or plans changing or really um having a complete reversal of of our thoughts and values around a particular thing, having childhood baggage come up like all having trauma come up like all kinds of things can come up, these things that can really kind of knock you off your balance and so it's really I think easy to understand how you have a lot of opportunities to see like, ooh, what's my default in this situation. I know for myself personally, I think about times when I've been at home and my partner's been on a date like And for me these days, mostly that's okay. But like times in the past where sometimes that's not been okay. And literally seeing myself go through literally all of these states, you know, (laughs) going through the anger, going into the craving, going into the jealousy, then going into the, the cookies and then going into the wine. And then I think for me, often, I think my manifestation of the God realm is the like, detaching and wanting to just be above it all and pretending like it's not affecting me at all i I, like that feels like that would fit into kind of that that particular realm if that makes sense it does yeah yeah
1: spiritual bypassing like oh well i'm i'm so above oh yes like can actually itself be a be a a state that you can (laughs) habitually go to. oh yeah thing yeah
3: yeah So I do find uh, it makes sense that what I find myself often telling my clients, especially clients where it's like they're going to go through their first time with their partner being gone for an entire night or for a sleepover or whatever. And it's, you know, they don't know how to deal with the time alone that I have found. Often I end up telling people just to expect that you're going to go through a bunch of different moods, you know, and kind of need to be there to on your feet to expect that. But it kind of makes sense that um, this is a model that maybe matches up with that.
0: And one of the things that I find to be really useful about it is, is casting your moods as realms that have these little pictures attached to them. You know, the animal realm, the god realm, automatically distances it a little. It's not hmm. you're not hmm. feeling you know like I'm I'm angry. No, I'm I'm in the hell realm. Like that's a thing you're in that you will then get out of, and so it. By the very act of trying to figure out what realm you're in, you provide a little bit of distance to allow yourself to then crawl out of whatever realm you end up in. And I find that to be very useful in these circumstances where, especially uh, in relationships, where it can feel kind of life or death, you know, it can feel like the emotions are so powerful because this is bonding and connection and intimacy. And if you lose that, uh, as human beings, if we lose that, we die. and so it can feel really important and not at all um, uh, optional, not at all something that might fade, and emotions can just be overwhelming. But if you say, "Oh, I'm in the hungry ghost realm, and I'm craving a sort of intimacy to show that I matter. It's like, okay, well, if I'm in a realm, I can get out of a realm and let mm-hmm. me think about how to do that it, it's a It's a neat trick.
1: Yeah. you're not an
2: angry person, you're maybe just like angry right at that moment, or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. I like that yeah
1: yeah it it reminds me of something that I learned years ago from uh from a guy who teaches uh prana energy work it's like a one of the one of the many modalities of energy work stuff um but specifically, the thing he was talking about was um changing from identifying with our feelings as like they define me versus i am feeling that feeling like he talked about being hungry for example and that we say like i am hungry as in like the the thing of being hungry like i am that that is me right hmm. uh, just it's kind of built into our language that way as opposed to i'm feeling hungry and even though that the meaning's the same that he was kind of talking about how you can you can have more sort of control over your feelings by distancing yourself from them in terms of like, whether you think that is your identity or not, like whether it's like, I am, I am anger incarnate, right. Or I'm in the angry realm. And I actually like the realm thing. It's maybe easier to kind of conceptualize it than just saying like, Oh, I'm feeling it rather than being it. I, I like that of kind of having that moment of like, which realm am I in? Cause it, it's more clearly like, oh, I'm, I'm in it. So like, yeah, it's big, but it means I can also get out of it. I like that as a mm. way of thinking about that.
0: Yeah. And the other thing um, that is useful to sort of think about with the realms, especially in terms of relationships, is to recognize when you say, you know, I'm in the hell realm, um, no one put you there. You know, you wandered into it yourself, uh, so you can also take yourself out of it. And I think um, a lot of times, people who are especially new to non-monogamy, their partner goes out on a date, and the it feels bad being at home. You know, it feels threatening, or you feel unimportant, or you feel insecure, and you don't want to feel that way. And so you say, you know, like, well, if my partner would just check in, I'm like your partner might check in, you might still be in the hungry ghost Mm -hmm. realm. Um, The important thing is to recognize that everything, everything is impermanent. And, and this is sort of a, in Buddhist psychology, the ego is a whole level of, there's eight levels of consciousness and I won't go into those, but the ego, like the idea that we, um, Exist as a unified ongoing person um, is the job of the ego. It's a whole level of consciousness. And the ego very much wants to believe that. The ego's whole job in life is to pretend that you, Jace or Emily or Dedeker, are always the same and you're solid and fixed and clear-cut mm. and you have a soul and all that. And um so if you say to yourself, I am angry, your ego is like, check, okay, there's a part of my personality and it can never change because mm. that would mean I'm not permanent and fixed. And so, okay, anger it is. And I think when we cling to feelings um, long past the point where we should maybe get over them, it's because our ego is doing what we've told it to do. And if we just let our ego... Relax a little if we if instead of saying, you know, well, I guess I'm just a jealous person, um mm. you say, you know well, right now I'm in the you know demigod realm, uh, but that can change um, then when it comes time to stop being jealous, uh, you can recognize it, and mm. it's like pain everyone thinks like you're in pain, you're in pain in this sort of solid way, but if you actually sit down when you're in pain and just and let's watch your pain, you'll see that it rises and falls and sometimes it disappears. And And oftentimes, you don't notice when it disappears. You're so busy doing other stuff, you miss that you're not in pain anymore. Hmm. Hmm. And so, uh, again, that attention to the present moment, like, okay, here I am in this realm because my partner's on a date and I'm really furious at him. Um, and then five minutes later, oh, actually, I got totally distracted by the cute thing the cat did and I'm not in that realm anymore. And <laughs> And that's fine because nothing is permanent.
1: It it reminds me a little bit of something that we uh, learned about on the retreat that the three of us went to a year ago before we talked last time, uh, which was about um, the fact that we often, as people, don't remember to focus on the here and now when the here and now is good. Like, we we forget mm-hmm. to focus on, like, what does feeling good or feeling normal feel like? Instead, it's just like, well, where's the next thing that might make me feel bad? Or what feels bad now? even if there might be some things that feel good. And we, like you said, like we're kind of not paying attention. It's like, oh, I was feeling good while I was doing these other things and I missed it <laughs> almost.
0: Yeah, I've, one of the things I've, I've learned from practicing with pain is that uh, our default, our, our expectation is that we won't be in pain. So like if you have a toothache for like the minute or two or five minutes after the toothache goes away, you're just like, oh, this is bliss. And then you're on to the next thing. And for like the next 10 years, you don't have a toothache and you don't ever say, I'm so glad my mouth doesn't hurt. Like you never say that. You just expect it to be so and you get pissed off when it happens again. Mm
4: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right?
0: Yeah, I, I think that is something really interesting, I think, to
3: focus on right now as well, that there there is a lot that can be celebrated just in not in necessarily like you know, I think that it can be easy to set up this expectation of like, okay, I got these six realms and they all sound kind of crummy and I got to avoid them, um, you know, and so I can only celebrate once I'm avoiding all of them and I feel super zen and super blissed out and like just ecstatically enlightened and that's when I can celebrate. When does but, that happen? Oh gosh, I don't know. You tell me when it happens. <laughs> Usually after the third glass of wine. Right. <laughs> um,
2: Take some hallucinogens.
4: But...
3: Gosh. I think it's interesting to think about this idea of like, there's still something to celebrate and lean into just when there's any kind of shift, you know, just when I'm like, okay, I recognize that I'm in the hell realm right now. And I recognize that and I'm gonna, you know, move into kind of questioning and doubting that and that that in itself is something to really lean into and Hmm. celebrate and and feel good about. And it is like kind of those little things that I think we don't, um, yeah, like you said, like with the toothache, it's kind of like the bliss only lasts for so
0: long. And then it's, it is just kind of business as usual after that. Yeah. Yeah. And um, the other thing is uh, impermanence feels scary. If you can learn to embrace impermanence, it becomes flying rather than falling.
1: Hmm. Well, okay. Hang on. Let me, it's like, like a koan. I have to sit here and like think about it for a second. <clears throat> okay, the uncertainty of the human realm. When we're grasping to certainty, feels like we're falling, but if we can embrace it, it feels like flying.
0: Yeah, so to expand a little on the koan, um, there's a sense, sort of recognizing and coming face to face with how impermanent life is Can feel very groundless. Um, I think for a lot of people in this current situation, you kind of, uh, as things changed literally overnight, everyone's like, oh my God, people are dying in this situation and the economy is shutting down. And it was always like that. We just pretended it wasn't. It's coming face to face with the unreality or uh, the unreality of stability, the, the impermanence of life is shocking. And so it feels destabilizing. It feels like you're falling off a cliff and you don't know what's going to happen when you land. But if you realize that the impermanence is always there, that it never goes away, we just pretend, then you're never going to hit the ground. And Mm -hmm. so instead of falling and wondering what's going to happen, you're flying because you're just soaring on the impermanence. And sometimes maybe you're on an updraft and sometimes you're on a downdraft, but you never have to worry about hitting the ground. Um, because there is no ground. Well, it reminds me,
3: I mean, to bring it back to just the the relatively small scope of relationships, um, you know, relative to just kind of the big expansiveness of like uncertainty of the universe. Um, but you know, I think something that we do say on this podcast, something I find myself saying a lot to clients and and reminding myself of also is that especially when it, when you're in a relationship that's very non-traditional, that colors outside the lines, you know, it can be really scary to feel like, oh gosh, you don't have a script for this situation. Like no one has socialized me. No one has taught me the rules of how I navigate a friendship with my metamorph. No one's taught me the rules of what happens when my partner does this thing unexpectedly that disappoints me, you know, whatever. Um, that it's like not having the script for how this particular kind of relationship is necessarily supposed to go can be really terrifying, but also really empowering at the same time because it does mean that there is this expansiveness, this freedom, this ability to start crafting and writing your own script. And maybe it's not necessarily a perfect analog, um, but but at least that's what it reminds me of with
0: relationships. Think it, I think it's a great uh, analogy or, or connection or analog. Um, and it reminds me uh, one of the um so in the lineage i'm in there's a um a zen peacemakers and they have three tenants and one of the tenants is not knowing is most intimate and what that means mm-hmm. is that if you go into a situation without scripts without sort of expectations but you really engage with what is actually happening then you become intimate with it so if you can enter into this non-traditional relationship and say i don't know what's going to happen but we'll make it up as we go along. And I trust my partner. Um, and, and we're going to work through this together in an honest, vulnerable way. Then you really connect. Even if bad things happen, you really connect. Whereas if you go in saying like, oh, I know how we're supposed to do non and it's supposed to look like this. And, and if you do this thing, it's bad. And when people set up rules ahead of time, it's all about thinking they know when they really don't.
2: That's a great thing to say to people who are constantly reading up and trying to, like, do all the research beforehand for years and years before they actually, like, take the plunge. I love that. I think right. that's that's a great note to <laughs> tell to those of you out there who are maybe... <laughs> Still in the waiting game, uh, in the like, let's research more about this game.
3: Yeah, so stop listening to this podcast. Get
0: out
2: there.
3: And... <laughs> Not saying
0: that. Just, just, just saying, sorry, keep no, listening
2: sorry. for more yeah. quotes like that from
4: Annalisa. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, of course, you know, some knowledge and research is, is obviously good. I'm a scholar. I spend my life researching. That's what I do. <laughs> but at a certain point, you have to have the experience and the experience. There's a saying, I keep doing this to you, I'm sorry, but there's a saying in Zen, reading the menu is not eating the food.
4: Hmm. Hmm.
1: Yeah, that, I think that applies to a lot of um, people who are new to non-monogamy, who do kind of want to read all the menus, which in non-monogamy, the menus are very long books for the most part. Uh, <laughs> very, very, very,
3: long menus. <laughs> Dedeker. <laughs> who keeps writing these long-ass menus? <laughs> I <laughs> <laughs> Well, it certainly applies to me right now when I walk to the grocery store and I, I wistfully look at the menus of all these shuttered restaurants, just be oh, like,
2: oh, yeah, I, I that sounds great. <laughs> I'm sad about it, yeah. <laughs>
3: yeah. Oh, man.
1: Um, all right, so we're kind of coming up on time here, but Annalisa, if people want to find... Either more of you or more of kind of res- resources for this. If they want to learn a little bit more um, about some of these principles and things, where should they go to get that?
0: Uh, well, I, um, first of all, you could go to SojiZenCenter.com, um S O J I zen center all one word or if you just search soji zen center philadelphia um that's my home sangha that's my teacher uh right now we're doing virtual sits so you could sit with us from anywhere um i find that lion's roar uh lion like the animal roa you know Uh, um lion's roar it's a magazine um
2: that's a a thing in yoga i was like like lion's (laughs)
0: right
2: exactly (laughs) no no it's the name of the
0: of the buddhist magazine and i find their articles to be a really good non-denominational they're not just zen they're they're tibetan and vipassana and all that but they have a really nice clear way of putting things and i'm not being paid to say that but i just have always liked (laughs) um their stuff uh for beginners um you know Mm. i'm more like and now that i know all this stuff let me read the hardcore zen sutras but don't don't do not start there yeah (laughs) don't yeah (laughs) yeah yeah so
3: we are going to move on uh we're going to still keep annalisa on the line to talk with us during our bonus episode which is available to our patreon supporters We're going to be talking a little bit more about zen principles buddhist principles that can help during this time as well as in your relationship specifically we're going to be talking about a concept known as the five remembrances so if you're a patreon subscriber stick around for that And for all of you, we would love to hear your thoughts. What has been helping you during this time? Uh, Listening to this explanation or this interpretation of the six realms, does it make sense? What are kind of your default mind states and emotional moods that you tend to default to during this time or just in life in general, since we learned it's basically the same. Um, So (laughs) the best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is on this episode's discussion thread, which is in our private Facebook group or Discord chat. You can get access to these groups and you can join our exclusive community by going to Patreon.com slash Multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can email us at info at Multiamory.com. Multiamory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren, Emily Matlack, and me, Dedeker Winston. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanera. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our production assistants are Rachel Schenewerk and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. Full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com.
2: Life's better with American Family Insurance.